Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 32. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this, messa this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, 
Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Okay, I hope you had a blessed uh, Thanksgiving Day and experienced, as well as expressed, uh, many forms of gratitude to God and those who have given uh, much to us. I suppose expressing uh, could be an expanded waistline based on what Peter said. Stop looking at my waistline, please. Um, we land on the final Sunday of November and the last of the messages on Thanksgiving themes. Uh, we've considered the themes of Sabbath rest and various types of contentment. Uh, and if you're part of the youth and or college Bible studies, um, we've also examined generosity, via the Zacchaeus story. Uh, today's topic relates to uh, giving thanks, but not for the more common uh, reasons or occasions. Uh, my title, Out of the Box Thanking, can be attributed uh, to a recent article uh, by Jessica Stillman that I read from Inc.com entitled, uh, Three Unexpected Habits of Extremely Grateful People. The author observes that people uh, who are regularly grateful, like even on a daily basis, rather than just once a year in front of a big pile of food, they exhibit some interesting and similar characteristics. Right? These behaviors include, first, they think about death. Okay? So um, Peter mentioned uh, the uh, Keller interview, Dr. Keller interview about kind of prioritizing, thinking about uh, our mortality. Uh, and so people that um, kind of tend to be extremely grateful, uh, not in a morbid way, but in a realistic way, they consider uh, that life is short. They think about, oh, I might not survive, so what should I be thankful for? How should my life uh, reflect this awareness of my finitude? Uh, number two, <laughs> they notice the pancakes. Right? Uh, what the point is there is that they're very specific. It's not just, they're just, oh, I'm generally grateful. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this, thankful for that. But they're actually, they notice what to be thankful for. So it's not just the pancakes, but the blueberry that's embedded inside, the, the, the syrup that is made from like agave, so it's not as unhealthy and it kind of drizzled down the side and then, you know, that doesn't, it's not so sticky. Whatever, you know, you can come up with any sort of, uh, details, but they pay attention to the details, and we express that gratitude in that way. And third, they think outside the box, right? We, we know that term, think outside the box. Right? That means it's not usual, common, typical, but it helps you uh, uh, to be grateful for things that maybe, you know, the average person, right, would not be grateful for. That when you encounter something, when you experience something, when you run into something, when you're going through something that would be considered an adversity or, or a suffering or something that no one would want, uh, because of your, I guess, thankfulness, because of your ability to kind of have this broader perspective, maybe because of your faith, you're able to thank God. You're able to be grateful 
when it's even outside the box. I like the pun, right, for giving thanks, and I, I decided to commandeer it for my title, Thanking Outside the Box. Um, I came to think about uh, the patriarch Jacob uh, at a moment of major crisis in his life. Uh, Genesis 32 is one of my favorite narratives in the entire Bible, although I spent most of my uh, attention covering that last section, the last few verses where Jacob engages in this all-night wrestling match. Right? For today's sermon, however, I wanted to kind of offer more of a bird's-eye view of the entire chapter and identify uh, three things, at least, that I think Jacob was grateful for that I would consider somewhat unusual, right? But these can serve, hopefully, as an impetus for some of our own out-of-the-box uh, thinking. Okay, so unusual reasons for giving thanks, for being grateful, okay? And, and I kind of did some chapter or verse kind of organization, but it's not really a strict kind of division. But first, there's great fear and distress, right? That's very apparent. Uh, Jacob is a very, uh, he's, he's shaking in his sandals because uh, he has to meet his estranged brother who looks like he's going to come and wipe him out, right? So somehow he's thankful, okay? That's going to be my argument, that Jacob is thankful even in this time of great fear and uh, distress. Second, uh, Jacob is mentions, it almost kind of not, not that like fully, but he talks about the original promise, the original uh, guarantee, if you will, that God gave him as he crossed over, when he was running away from Esau, crossed over to, um, to go to his relative's uh, house, right, back in Aram. And uh, God gives him these promises, which uh, to some extent uh, are coming true, but it's a long way off, very far from, you know, consummation. Um, and yet, I think... Uh, Jacob, even though it's unfulfilled, um, he expresses, he has, he's grateful at least for what has already happened. And he, I think he displays some faith. He demonstrates some faith. Now, I, I'll be the first one to say that some of Jacob's actions here look very unfaithful, right? He, he s divides into two camps. If one gets destroyed, the other one can escape. He does all this kind of, he counts carefully how many uh, animals and, you know, he spaces them out. He's got the servants having their own regular like speech, right? And, and it says specifically that he's thinking, if I pacify Esau with a bunch of lavish gifts and I use all this honorific language, then maybe Esau will spare me. So he's doing something. His, his motions are moving, right? And yet we see that in his prayer, right? And, and that's, that's the focus. The, his words before God, that prayer, his interaction with God, I think they do demonstrate that he is faithful that he has faith, and that it's a grateful uh, faith. And then uh, the last section is defeat. Right? When we, when Jacob, when we experience defeat or calamity or failure, uh, you know, gratitude is not the first thing that pops up. I'm so glad I failed. I'm so glad I dropped out of school. I'm so glad I, I'm suffering. I'm, you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of nonsensical to speak in those terms, and yet, and yet, I think there is, there's a c pretty clear 
a sense, a spirit of thankfulness that Jacob has when he comes face to face with here, God, but he experiences as being spared uh, from death. When you face death and you, you live to tell about it, you survive it, um, that might be a reason, maybe uh, not the immediate reaction, but a reason uh, to give thanks. Okay, so although I did give an extended kind of description of these sections, we'll kind of dive in, right, with the first one, great fear and distress. Now, Jacob's history is so colorful and kind of sordid that I can't do justice uh, to it in a brief summation, but here goes. Uh, Jacob is the younger of twin sons born to Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob has always been a conniver and a usurper, trying to get ahead in life, especially with respect to his brother. He wheedles Esau's birthright for a bowl of stew. He straight up purloins Esau's blessing and then shrewdly manipulates uh, via, genetically via genetic engineering a takeover of his father-in-law's slash Uncle Laban's considerable flocks and herds. Um, just prior to chapter 32, God had intervened against Laban's vindictive pursuit of Jacob, causing Laban to not only spare Jacob, but <laughs> instead form a uh, covenantal treaty uh, together. So Jacob has escaped many scrapes. He survived. He's a survivor. And he's just fresh off this great... Uh, uh, mercy of God. But things get very dicey very quickly. Because Jacob now has to traverse through Esau's stronghold. Uh, when Jacob, hoping to pass through unscathed, is ominously told that Esau, along with 400 men, are coming to meet him, Jacob undergoes, verse 7 says, great fear and distress. I mean, who wouldn't? If your rival brother, whom you have wronged six ways from Sunday, hears you're in town and decides to drop by with 400 of his dudes, you have to be scared. No bravado is going to make you brave. Right? It certainly wasn't some kind of royal welcome, as some commentary suggests. It was a show of force. Esau wants to send a message to Jacob. Resulting in Jacob facing the most difficult moment of his life. Although things have been rough overall, mainly due to his greed and conniving, Jacob is now at a precarious crossroads. By all measures, he's a successful man. And yet this unresolved conflict with Esau has bubbled back up to the surface. It's on the verge of a volcanic eruption. Running away didn't help. Getting rich didn't help. The problem remained unresolved, unsolved, and now has become heightened because of his wives, of his children, and his property. And so Jacob cries out. He cries out as he never has cried out before, supplicating the God who just delivered him from Laban's clutches to deliver him also from Esau's. In verse 10, Jacob acknowledges, this is important, that God has been gracious to him. He refers to himself as unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that God has shown. Unworthy. 
that is kind of a key attitude, a key posture, a foundational self-understanding and perspective to show gratitude. He recalls that the only possession he owned at the beginning of his sojourn was his staff, but now he had a very large family, too big for one camp. He had a prodigious livestock inventory. Right, Jacob is admitting that without God, none of this would have been possible. And by way of extension, deliverance from Esau's wrath would only be possible by God's mercy as well. So he unabashedly asks for deliverance and protection. Jacob lets it all out. He's fearful and in distress, and he does not try to disguise or sugarcoat the reality of the situation. Now, it's technically true that it doesn't say, oh, Jacob was like, hallelujah, my brother's about to kill me. Praise God, I'm so thankful. Right? It doesn't say that explicitly. And, of course, that, that, that wouldn't happen, right? When we're overwhelmed with fear and distress, the last thing that comes into our mind is gratitude. It's because maybe he had no other choice or maybe he thought he had a fighting chance or he's fresh from God's help in, in, in the Laban situation. He doesn't turn tail. He doesn't run away. He doesn't fall into debilitating despair. Jacob turns to God in prayer. Again, I said that's the key component here. Emotions can run amok. Our world can be crumbling around us. But the main thing that I would exhort myself and you would be, do we really look to God? Right? It doesn't mean that other methods, other uh, avenues, other actions, other explanations, uh, explorations are precluded. I told you Jacob tried to do his best to try to get into Esau's head, right? But at bottom, he realized all this is not going to help. I need God. I need God to work mightily in prayer, in, 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 in his, in his uh, uh, gracious way. Right? And even though, right, he doesn't explicitly thank the Lord for his situation, it is a very helpful occasion for Jacob to turn to the God uh, who, time and again, had delivered him from harm's way and other potential ruin. Not only himself, but his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. They all experienced God as vessels in which God could pour out his blessings. So by calling upon God, right, I think, and acknowledging that Jacob is unworthy to receive anything, uh, he is, I think, he has that grateful heart. He has that grateful uh, track record of what God has done. I don't know if you're going through a time of great fear and distress, or maybe just fear and distress. It doesn't have to be great, but, you know. Um, I would ask, right, um, as you process this, as you struggle through it, uh, is there that gratitude for what God has done, right, Maybe when it wasn't so fearful and distressful. When he provided, uh, when he's guided you, right? the, the moments, the twists and the turns uh, during which uh, he has done great things right, for you. And, and that, that heart of like, Lord, I, don't, I didn't deserve what you did. Right? I'm nobody, and yet, here are the ways in which you answered prayer. Here are the miracles that you did. Here's where you showed up. Here's where you delivered me from similar times. To me, that really undergirds a heart of gratefulness. If we have that, then this 
atypicality of some of these situations of great fear and distress, that can be a more regular perspective, a, a more regular attitude, a regular spirit, more uh, familiar heart that we can have uh, before God. Okay, a second thing, the second thing that Jacob is thankful for that I think most t people typically would not be is unfulfilled promises. Now, I think when God or others give you, like, promises, we feel good about it, right? And when someone makes like this, say, I'm going to do this for you, or this is your future, or that kind of thing, I feel, I'm, I'm thankful on the spot, right? But let's say that it takes a long time, and you don't see any progress. Maybe you see regress, right? Uh, yeah, you think that um, uh, nothing's happening. In fact, that person has forgotten about you, the benefactor, or God, or, you know, somebody who made the promise. I find that to be a particularly hard time to be grateful, right? I'm actually, like, bitter. <laughs> I'm actually uh, complaining. Like, you said you were going to do this, or, God, you promised this. Like, where are the results? I, I did my share. I, I was faithful on my end. I've done all this, and we're, we're quick to list the litany of, you know, stuff that we've done. We've kept our end of the bargain, but come on, God, right? Come on, whoever, right? You said this, right? I, I mean, you, we all experience it, right? Where we talk with somebody and then they make reassurances or maybe if you're a parent, your kid comes up to you and says, and you say, like, we're going to go to Disney World, right? When the pandemic is over. Yeah, right. <laughs> when's that going to happen? And, and the kid will call you on it and they're not grateful that you promised them to go to Disneyland. They're, they're, un, they're ungrateful that you haven't been able to follow through. And yet, right, I find that Jacob here, um, uh, he, uh, to me, demonstrates that uh, although the promise that God made is afar, very far off, the fulfillment of the promise, right, Jacob is not unaware or ungrateful about what has already uh, transpired. Right? Now, this promise that God made of descendants and land and protection and prosperity, this was a big one, right? This was the original one made to Abraham and to Isaac. And, and the crazy thing is about the, you know, the number of descendants, that your offspring will outnumber the sands, uh, the grains of sand on, on the seashore, right? So that's innumerable. God had promised Abraham, just Abraham and, his, and Sarah, they didn't have any kids, but he's going to make them into a great nation, right? That was a crazy promise. And it barely made any progress in Abraham's life. Isaac was born, right? That's about it. Right? And then Isaac expanded it a little bit. That's about it. And then Jacob went and he expanded quite a bit. He had 12 kids, 12 sons, right? More, more, uh, more daughters. And, 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 and he expanded that a lot more. But still, you know, it's, it's a far cry. I keep using that word. It's, it's very, it's not quite... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's not the, 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 the sand uh, on the seashore. The, the promise was so expansive, right? It really was a God-sized promise that it was really um, distant from being uh, realized. And now the threat of Esau uh, represented, right? The threat that Esau represented put that promise in serious jeopardy. Think about that, right? So Jacob is actually, you know, he's, 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 on, he's really on the mark here. Right? God, you made this promise, and, you know, I see it happening slowly, 
but let's say surely. But if Esau kills me, right, this promise is in serious uh, jeopardy, right? I think Jacob understands right, that uh, God doesn't just bless anybody in this way. He doesn't make promises willy-nilly. Even if the promise looks um, hangs in the precarious balance, uh, in his eyes, not so in God's eyes. And so, right, he is still trusting. He is still thankful. Um, I feel like this actually is true, okay? Not propositionally true, but experientially true. Anecdot anecdot how do you pronounce the word? Anecdotally true. Throughout the spiritual life, anybody's spiritual life, uh, to me, has um, components, if not a kind of um, a re re repetitive um, experience or characterize, it is characterized by this kind of delayed fulfillment, right? That when we embarked on our spiritual lives, or when we made a commitment to God, or to a body of Christ, right, it's with this idea, right, with this hope, maybe even this confidence, that boy, now that I found what I want, what I've, God has called me to, now that I found truth, I found purpose, it's going to be like great. It's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be awesome, right? And it's not wrong to have that, right? Because. Um, you know, some of the, the biblical promises, some of the convictions that God gives us, some of the representations that are made, it really does entail that kind of like future, that, that kind of vision uh, before us. And it's good to have that. It's almost, mm, I want to say, necessary to have that. But part and parcel with that, in my experience, in my perspective, is that there are times of sluggishness times of slow go, right? And it's not just like once every 10 years, right? At least in my experience, it's, it, it's, it's a regular part of spiritual life, that things are still uh, far from being right, accomplished or realized or let alone perfected. Um, that we have to fight through, we have to persevere through those valleys, right? and, 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 and a very helpful way to make it through those valleys is to retain a grateful heart. If we're not grateful for where, even if it's, in our, in our estimation, a very slow uh, advancement, a slow fulfillment, if we're not grateful for even that slow stuff, it's really hard. You know, we're quick, I'm quick to jump off and jump on something else. I'm I want to move on. I want to find optimism and hope and, and encouragement elsewhere. But somehow Jacob, right, and, and he's got a, a, a lot to be grateful for, right? He talked about his family, talked about his possessions. And yet, you know, when you're facing possible death, it's hard to be grateful for what you have um, when uh, there's so much that is remains undone, remains, you know, uh, just in dream form, right? it's, it's not going to happen, in other words. Um, the re most recent book, I actually finished it, 
that I got to uh, think about was uh, a book by Anthony Gottlieb. It's a philosophy book, kind of a history of philosophy, right? And it's called uh, The Dream of Enlightenment, right? And it go covers like the 17th century, a little bit of the 18th century, um, uh, Western, or especially European, Western European um, philosophers. So it starts with Descartes, goes to Hobbes, right? Covers, you know, Spinoza, Leibs, Leibniz, all those, all those guys are around that time, and uh, it's a kind of a fresh kind of re rendering of some of the not only the philosophical thought proper, but kind of how what their personalities were and some of their interaction. That was something I that was new to me uh, and stuff. And so I finally, you know, Descartes was one of I don't know much about him, but he was kind of one of my like Western philosophy heroes. And, but now I got cut down the size big time, right? But even like his amazing, you know, axiom, right? And I think, therefore, I am. There's a lot of problems with that, and so I was kind of sad to to see <laughs> him kind of, you know, uh, kind of uh, made more uh, more human. His stature kind of uh, decrease uh, and stuff, right? But some of the things that he was so confident in kind of basically belied that his his method, his discourse, attempted discourse was to doubt everything, but he seemed to doubt everything until he decided that, oh, I can't doubt this anymore. <laughs> so it's kind of like a circular kind of thing. Anyway, um, one of the things that I walked away with the book was that there were some of these guys that were so brilliant. They were so, whatever, you could say they're full of themselves, or they were just so intellectually fertile that they thought that they could indeed figure out all of life's like puzzles and conundrums. And they, some of them, their production, their, 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 their writing was so prolific that they actually like had these amazing kind of like huge plans to just conquer all of the philosophical, moral, intellectual, spiritual, economic, you know, problems that, that existed, you know, in, in, in throughout mankind. And of course they were sorely disappointed because not only were they, did they run out of time even though they, they were like, they, they wrote so much and they talked so much and they did so much, right? They, you know, faced the end of their own lives. And not only that, but, you know, if they were alive to see how they were kind of criticized and critiqued and kind of all that, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years later, I think they would have felt like, oh, man, I didn't get much done, did I? <laughs> There's a lot yet to, to do that. And I think that sometimes, I don't know, in, in my stage in life, um, to that I always want to kind of like say that, oh, I've made this kind of progress or I'm almost there or I'm done. There is this kind of like satisfaction of accomplishing what I set out to do or kind of, you know, whether it's a personal experience or whether it's spiritual. And I think that has kind of set me up to be kind of like a little bit like ungrateful for things that aren't finished when actually when I look back, if I had the, a grateful heart, there'd be so much so many things to feel blessed about. Right? Let me just give you a mundane example. So Mona and I, we're trying to hike more. I think we've talked about it many times. And, you know, her personality and I are different, as, as if you didn't know. And uh, so when I do a hike, I have to finish it, right? Even if, like, I'm, like, I break my leg or, you know, that, you know, it, it takes, you know, it's overnight or something. I feel like I started this hike and I'm going to finish it. I'm going to start at the trailhead and I'm going to get back or, you know, do the loop or whatever occurs. 
Mona's good with like, she's good with like going out half a mile and go, this is beautiful, and <laughs> turning around, let's go get lunch, right? You know, if, if the hike is, you know, maybe it's, it's not the wisest thing to do or the weather's bad or something like that, right? And I realize, I think that kind of illustrates it in kind of a mundane way, you know, because she lives that kind of, she's glad that she saw the wildflowers, she's glad that she, you know, got to go up this hill, that she got to, you know, s- you know inhale the mountain air and stuff like that. To me, even though I experience those things maybe even more than she does, I got to have that satisfaction of walking through the end of the trail and, and putting it on my Google Sheet, right? Unfulfilled promises, get used to it, <laughs> right? Even from God, it's going to take a while. Right? Even, like I said, in our spiritual life, the promise that we are one day going to be with the Lord for eternity, that's still not yet. That Jesus is going to come back. I mean, Christians have been waiting for that 2,000 years. Right? That you are going to be, you and I are going to be freed from the ravages of our sinful nature. Not quite. Right? To, but to be grateful for the small victories, the little steps things that, you know, God has really shown himself, right? The caring, the, the nurture, the protection. Somehow, I feel that like Jacob expresses this uh, in his uh, journey. The, the, the last, the final out-of-the-box thanking. Example from chapter 32 is, of course, the wrestling match that uh, Jacob undergoes, undergoes all night with a man from God. As I said, I could go like four messages. Uh, there's so much here. You know, Jacob's name, what's the identity of this wrestler, you know, why does he wait until the last minute to break Jacob's hip, you know, and then what, what's the significance in changing, you know, giving the blessing, all that, right? I'm just going to forego that for another day. Just make the point that Jacob actually lost, right? He lost the battle uh, here. He lost the struggle big time. He was defeated by the man and received a permanent injury as an emblem. Yet, it was a defeat, but oh, what a magnificent defeat it was. It was the best kind of defeat to have. Hip-breaking times, even though we might not want to admit it, they could be actually occasions for great blessings. Not of the worldly kind, but of the godly kind. I submit that when we lose to God, we actually win. Right? God is so gracious in his relationship to us that when he defeats us, when he breaks us, when he crushes us, if we are in that right relationship with him, it is actually a victory. It's actually a blessing for us. To submit to God's ways and God's plans, even when it guts our own methods and means, is actually one of the best things that can ever happen to us. Right? In one fell swoop, what took 20 years for Jacob to build through blood, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, and toil, everything that he grasped after and gained, he realized that could be taken away by Esau, by death, by God. But it's that conviction, it's that realization that I think gives Jacob this extreme gratefulness, right? Because what does he say? That God alone has spared him from death. He says in verse 30, so Jacob (coughs) called the place Peniel, saying it is because 
I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Right? It's that ink dot comes, right? What, what, did, what that article said about people who are grateful. They think about death on a regular basis. And Jacob had to, right? This limp that he experiences is going to remind him every day, you could have died, you should have died, but you lived. You were spared. And that makes him thankful, right? That makes him full of gratitude because he was defeated. He almost died, but then, right, he walks on. He limps on. And that is an evidence that right, God is being gracious uh, to him. Have you ever had a, a near-death experience? And how have you processed it, right? whether it's a car accident or maybe you were ill? Right? I almost drowned when I was in fourth grade, but that was such a, it was such a kind of an immediate thing, and like I didn't have my faculties enough to, think, to, to really appreciate that, although I've mentioned it. But the closest I think that I ever got to death was in college, right? Um, I was um, a college student, and um, I was crazy about volleyball. I try to play as much as I can, outdoor, indoor, whenever. And so in my dorm uh, quad, there was a volleyball net set up, and we pl I almost played like, uh, you know, I played till you know, it was, it was dark and, and all that. I really enjoyed it. But, the, you know, as we played with people that were good, not good, whatever, sometimes the ball would go all over the place. And once the ball went on the, uh, the dining hall roof, right, and uh, this is unit one, no, sorry, unit three, for those of you that know, Joe's like, what is unit one, unit three? Okay, so very tall dining hall, right? I would say like 15 feet above the air, right? So it went on the roof, and me in my like, you know, youthful ignorance and, and kind of like bravado and love for volleyball, I found a ladder, like a 10-foot ladder, right? And I climbed up, and, you know, I, cl I could clear the, the top of the roof up to my chest, but I would need to pu pull myself up on top of the roof and this is not like a ladder that you see in New York City with all the scaffolding and there's no like burly men holding it in place. It was just kind of a woo, you know, that one of those big L ladders. It was sturdy, but I went to the top. You're never supposed to go to the top of a ladder. You're supposed to go like four rungs down, right? I went to the top. Nobody was holding it. And I got up there and I pulled myself up from my chest to my waist and I got stuck, right? I needed to swing my leg over to do that and I realized I needed that. But Okay, so I was vain. I, I was lifting weights. So I just lifted weights before I played volleyball. And so all my strength was gone. I burned out, right? So, like, I'm sitting there in the, like, kind of suspended in midair going, I better go back on this ladder. But I couldn't really find it with my feet because I was already off of it, right? Somehow I got myself up, and going down was even worse. I won't, bother, <laughs> I won't bore you with those kind of details. But after I came down and um, I, I was, you know, thinking about it later on, I go, I could have died. I probably should have died, right? There's many chances here that, you know, because like if you want to hang on for dear life, maybe it wouldn't have been that bad of a drop, but I, I didn't have any strength left in my arms, right, and, and stuff. So now I'm, like, very scared of letters, right? rightfully so, and volleyball has kind of gotten not as exciting <laughs> as before. I'm so glad that I didn't, like, break my legs or die uh, during there, right? Because then, you know, my life would have been pretty different if I had died <laughs> uh, in college. Um, I'm not saying that you have to go through a near-death experience and please don't ever do what I did. Don't do anything stupid. 
our two brown college students don't think anything like that, please. I know you guys, uh, you're not very good at volleyball, but you love volleyball, I know that. So Pyeon boys visiting today. Um, but, you know, life and death, you know, those are important occasions to really be examine right, where we are before God, what we, he has done for us. Yeah, the cross of Jesus is our limp. It should be our limp, at least, right? We, we're not physically uh, messed up by it, right? But it should really be significant. It really should be important. It really should make us, you know, reflect. Just as Jacob said, right? Because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Uh, during this Thanksgiving season, maybe we are going through such things individually in our families, in our church, in our communities, and our world. The pandemic is a pretty distressing situation. Right? Or, you know, the promises of God may be moving at a glacial pace in your mind. And it may look like you are on the brink of defeat. You're pretty bruised and battered. Still, right, we can give thanks in all circumstances. Just as God was with Jacob in all these difficulties, um, he can be, he is in ours as well. So recall Jacob clinging to the man, waiting for God to bless him. May that be our confession. Let's pray. Lord, as we conclude the month of November, help us not to stop giving thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.